Well, hello, and welcome back to the Teach Rough the Film Buff podcast. Taking a little bit longer this week to get the episode out, but it is the first episode of the podcast post Game of Thrones season eight. So, in uh, in essence, this will be the first real episode of the Teach Rough the Film Buff podcast, which is not strictly a one episode review. This week, what we're going to do this week is is probably what I'll end up doing on a week to week basis, which is just review the the latest films I've I've watched, rewatched, seen in theaters over the last couple of weeks, or really since the last podcast. So I'll start a couple of weeks back, and in this, the reason I started to take a look at some of these movies is actually, um, believe it or not, because of Game of Thrones, and and wanted to go through some of the actors' works that I not previously been aware of or previously seen. So starting a couple of weeks back, I. I took a look at uh, The Take, which is uh, directed by James Watkins from 2016, starring uh, Richard Madden and and Idris Elba. And the great thing uh, about this one is that, honestly, didn't even know it existed until probably, say, I don't know, a year or two ago when I heard a little bit about this movie because of the rumors between uh, Idris Elba and Richard Madden both possibly being James Bond in the future. So I, I don't even know if this movie made it to theaters, and I'd be shocked if it didn't, because it's actually a pretty decent, solid, small action crime thriller. Um, and the best thing I can say about this movie is that after watching, I 100% would be on board for either Richard Madden or Idris Elba taking on the role of James Bond after Daniel Craig gets done with his... Uh, uh, Carrie Fukunaga directed Bond 25 next spring, I believe is when it comes out. So after that movie, whether or not they want to wait a couple years before the next James Bond movie, I don't care. I don't know if it's, you know, if it could be a one-off with Idris Elba or start a new quadrilogy five movie arc with Richard Madden, totally be down for that. Absolutely on board. So I don't really care how old Idris Elba is at this point. I've seen him in the take seen him in many things but and he's great in many things um but but the take i telling you the movie's decent but him and richard madden are fantastic together you can totally see them being in the world of international espionage um uh so so that's that's kind of the immediate thoughts and and i think the problem the movie sort of runs into is halfway through the movie starts to the scope starts to get bigger and the, the world starts expanding they try to explain more things um, introduce more characters. Um, and, and as soon as the exposition starts to hit in, um, the, the movie kind of falls apart. And I, I, that's that's a strong way of saying that the second half is just not as good as the second half or the first half. I'm sorry, but um, essentially the way I looked at it is it's kind of like the movie Focus with Will Smith and Marco Robbie meets. The Purge meets, uh, in a way, like the old school Fast and Furious type of movies. And that's kind of where the scope sort of took off. And, and hence, the, the movie kind of jumps jumps the ship a little bit in the second half. But the beginning with the Richard Madden being a pickpocket, kind of uh, accidentally running into this whole uh, terrorist threat um, mystery with Idris Elba being a CIA agent, I believe. Um, that whole thing w- was very interesting to me. I found the, the first half engrossing, um, loved their performances, loved where the story was going. Then it just kind of it 
went a little bit too much off the rails in the second half, but I'd still, I'd still come around and, and give it a 7.1 out of 10. So decent movie, uh, worth checking out. I would have seen a trilogy of these if they were to make them, but I just don't think the movie made any money if it was in the theaters at all. Um, so that's the first movie we're going to tackle. Uh, second movie we're going to look at here, John Wick 3, Parabellum. saw this uh, opening night when it came out a couple weeks back, um, directed by Chad Stahelski. Um, same director as John Wick 2 and co-director of the first John Wick. Oh, where do we begin with this movie? Because this is another mixed bag for me. I think the action is some of the best hand-to-hand combat we've ever seen on screen. Not that it's a surprise at all. I mean, the first John Wick and the second John Wick contained as well some of the, the best hand-to-hand combat gun fight sequences ever put to screen. Um, but... It, it kind of runs into the same problem that, you know, if you were to have a problem with the Fast and Furious movies, I can see why you do if you don't buy into the world. And the Fast and Furious movies jumped off, jumped the shark in the fourth and fifth one. It completely changed changed the structure of the the stories, went from being an underground car-stealing heist I guess to like an international epic uh, heist meets like Michael Bay style action, ridiculous characters, Avenger style team up movies. Like I loved it, but that's to me when a lot of the fans of the original Fast and Furious franchise probably got off or more jumped on. Who knows? I mean, it, you know, you can go either way, but the same thing with, John Wick 3 here because the movie to me takes the franchise in a completely unrealistic direction and I'm re-watching the second John Wick actually the last couple of nights at the commentary between Chad Stahelski and, and uh, Keanu Reeves and while it's a solid commentary they kind of do mention in there some of their plans for the future movies and John Wick 3 of course um, in the works at the time of the commentary and, and kind of how they wanted to keep expanding the world, keep uh, keep all the fans on their toes and with adding more action and high stakes. And I don't know, the first movie was to me probably where it excelled the most with being a single story. He's out for revenge. These bad guys led by, you know, Theon Greyjoy himself, Anthony Allen, uh, you know, killing his dog, which meant very much to to John Wick, considering that was his wife's last gift to him. You know, it, it was a very singular story. They had one goal in mind. He was just out for revenge. It was fun, great action. And then this movie, it's just like everyone in the world becomes a spy. Uh, you know, the scene when he's running at the end of John Wick 2, you know, shows, oh, all these people are on board. They're all getting the notification that, you know, his head is, is out for bounty at this point it's like you know all right how unrealistic are we gonna get and then the third act in this movie oh my god i mean the action becomes numbing at times which i can't believe i'm saying because it's always entertaining the action scenes are something you could re-watch all the time if you want to just go check out a youtube clip i would never never bash any of the action in these movies but the direction becomes numbing because the story you just don't really care about and any of the dialogue you don't care about so as soon as you get to the action that's supposed to ramp up the stakes 
um, with the new villain on board. This it's like you know, it, it's the same thing over and over again. And the last one of the last fight sequences must have lasted twenty five minutes. And when it's just hand to hand combat with a little bit of guns, it's it's incredibly numbing. Um, so that's kind of where I fell with the third John Wick. I mean, the scenes with Halle Berry and the dog, how they're involved with the action now. That was incredible, and I love that that comic comes full circle with the first movie. But I, I just didn't, I just didn't find myself kind of not caring after a while. And I think that the thing that I kept coming back to, and what I was saying after the movie when I saw it on opening night, is that this franchise needs needs a big bad. It needs a a, a villain with gravitas, like you know Hobbs and Shaw has Idris Elba this summer. It's like. You know, that movie probably to general audience wouldn't be as appealing if it didn't have Idris Elba. You know, the Fast and Furious movies have had Jason Statham now, Luke Evans, um, Charlie's The Rome was the villain last one. Like, but then you go back to like the fifth Fast and Furious. Like, I don't remember the actor's name who played the villain. I don't remember the actor's name who played the villain in any of the previous movies. You just you kind of need that big name, and that's what John Wick needs. So that's kind of where I fell disappointingly, you know. 6.8 out of 10 is what I end up giving it. It's worth seeing for the action alone, but it's nowhere near as good as the first or second one. Um, a couple days later, I checked out a movie called Gosford Park. It's a Robert Altman movie. Uh, ironically, the first Robert Altman movie I've actually seen. I can't believe that because as big of a film fan I am, I, for some reason, I don't know why I haven't got around to his movies. Um, but the reason I actually ended up watching this movie is because of Charles Dance, who plays Tywin Lannister. Um, just one of those movies that's always been on my watch list. I wanted to see his other work. So although it's an ensemble piece, it's a murder mystery. I wanted to check out what this is all about because, you know, I like movies like, you know, Murder on the Orient Express. It's flawed, but I like it. Murder by Death is a very fun movie. Um, ensemble mysteries, you know, that type of uh, movie. Kind of playful, but serious at the same time. Um, and that's what I thought Gosford Park was going to be. It ends up being a complete yawn fest, to be honest. Um, from what I read, this could be wrong, but this movie kind of inspired writers to make Downton Abbey. I don't know if that's actually true, but when I was watching this movie and I saw that in an article, I was like, yeah, that, that's, that's why I don't watch that show. It, it's, that's the type of British television I'm just not into, you know, like Game of Thrones is completely a different thing. Like the dialogue isn't dry. It's interesting. They don't make it too like, you know, Shakespearean in a way. It's very modern without feeling modern, if that makes any sense. So Gosford Park just wasn't for me. I mean, when the murder doesn't happen until over an hour in, I think you have a little bit of a problem. Um, and all that character development they were trying to, to get across doesn't impact you at all. That's kind of an issue. Uh, so that's kind of where I fell there. 6.3 out of 10, I'll give Gosford Park. Um, and then we kind of go into a more happy slash sort of tearful uh, realm of movies. And that's the dual threat of a dog's purpose and a dog's journey. And admittedly, I held out watching a dog's purpose for, what has it been, two and a half years now. Um, I'm not a fan of movies that specifically are made to manipulate their audience into feeling a certain emotion. It's kind of why I'm not a huge fan of comedies because – Comedies are set out to do one thing and one thing only. And most, this is most comedies, not all comedies, but they're just set out to make you laugh. 
Like that's why I love movies like that are made by Christopher Nolan because you don't really know what you're getting into when you sit down for those movies. Is he trying to make you feel emotionally moved? Is he trying to make you uh, entertained by action, or is he trying to to move your like to to make you think uh, thought make thought provoking movies? Like you know, it, you just never know. I like movies like that that you don't that you could get all these different emotions out of, which is why I was holding off on the. the a dog's purpose and a dog's journey. Although I did actually end up seeing a dog's way home in theaters a couple week, couple months back, which is, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's not great, but these two movies directed by Lassie house from the first one and Gail Manicuso, the second one, I believe is her name. Um, they just, they do what they set out to do. And although I just kind of am contradicting myself in a way, I don't like those movies that are only doing one thing to its audience. I can't say I I didn't like these. I really did like them. Um, the second one to me is better. I think it gives Bailey, the, the lead dog, if you will, that is reincarnated several times or had several lives to basically go back and help its owner um, over time, over a few decades. The second one to me gives Bailey a, a better arc, um, a more complete arc as well because – probably because I, you know, it follows Dennis Quaid's daughter in the movie. Um, not his real life daughter, but the actor plays his daughter, which is Catherine Prescott. I believe her name is, um, it did. I mean, the first one moves you for sure. You can't really help, but kind of get a little teary eyed at times. But the second one, phew, the last 20 minutes of the second movie, a dog's journey. Ooh, that got me in theaters. That certainly got me. So, um, I'll take that one over the first one. First one, I'll give 7.5. Second one, 8.0 out of 10. Um, be here now, dogs. Be here now. That's that's what your that's what your purpose is, and you definitely do it. Then moving on to another movie I watched here at my house, not in theaters, was the 2013 movie Mama, directed by Andy Muschietti, kind of in preparation for his second. It movie, It Chapter 2, hitting theaters in September. I had watched that It trailer about a week or two ago, kind of like, all right, I got to see what else this guy's done. I believe, if, uh, I could be wrong, but I believe this is Andy Machete's only other movie uh, starring Nicola Custer-Waldo and Jessica Chastain, um, wife and, and uh, husband who are kind of uh, struck into this position of taking care of their um, their their niece and in, in, I believe it's niece and nephew. I can't even think. Is it a boy and a girl? It's been like a week and a half since I've seen this. But um, in the movie, it's a horror movie, horror thriller, made on a low budget. Great acting. Costa Waldo, great as always. Another movie I checked out because of Game of Thrones, hence. Um, and uh, Jessica Chastain, fantastic again. When is she not fantastic, right? Um, you know, Muschietti does, he does what he set out to do. Kind of like what I was saying with the, do- the dogs movies. He's, he, he definitely scares you at times. Um, he definitely throws you, but ultimately the movie is derivative. You, you kind of feel his influence, his influences from other movies, um, or even you know when you go back and look at it, there's there's things that he does in um, Mama, especially the way he moves, or I'm sorry, the way he moves, the way the character of Mama moves in this movie. Um, very similar to the way Pennywise moves, especially when he gets out of that fridge and that, that one sequence in, in the first movie there. So you can certainly see his style 
um, sort of building in this in his directorial debut here. But um, the movie doesn't; it's not like memorable or you know anything like that. I think it's it's a, certainly a forgettable horror flick. It's but it does its job. So you know if you if you're setting out to to get scared, I think certainly you know it'll do that. So. Uh, let's see, moving on. What do we, what do we got here next? Uh, well, you know, about a week ago now, I did actually see Aladdin. Um, this, you know, for all the, the movies that Disney has made into live action form, this is probably the one I was worried most about, admittedly. Um, you know, Dumbo, definitely different. Tim Burton took a different approach with that kind of, you know, almost, you kind of like that that movie went a different direction. The original movie's only like 60 minutes long. So I kind of liked that he, he added more to it. The story's not great in Dumbo, but with Aladdin, considering it's directed by Guy Ritchie, you can immediately when I heard that he was directing a couple years ago, I think it was early 2017, right before his King Arthur came out, you can, you could certainly see why he's attracted to the story of Aladdin, kind of a, a street guy. Um, all of his movies have those, those moments where they're, you know, they have scrappy characters, thieves, you know, you could see it in, in lock stock, smoke and barrels, uh, or snatch, you know, which I, I'm not a huge fan of either of those movies. I do actually kind of like King Arthur, though. I didn't think it was as bad as everybody said. Um, his was what was it called, Legend of the Sword, or something like that. Um, but again, you could certainly see why he was attracted to Aladdin. But can he pull it off? Can can you replace Robin Williams? The answer is no. You know, but you do you you do your best job with hiring Will Smith, who I think is probably the best part of the movie. Um, you know, the the trailer didn't help his cause didn't help the movie's cost at all or uh, cause but i i think you kind of grow to like these characters in the movie i like the world that guy Ritchie set up it's different enough than the original to to separate itself um and i definitely did buy into will smith as the genie naomi scott as jasmine and mina masood as aladdin after a while you do kind of buy their chemistry um as much as it you know, you, you have to you have to put aside that this is a different interpretation. This isn't this isn't the nineteen ninety what was it five nineteen ninety seven movie. It's a different interpretation. You know, Jafar is way different than he was in the original movie. Probably rightfully so. You don't want him being this creepy old guy pining over this young princess trying to marry her. He doesn't do that in this movie. He more or less just wants the throne for himself. Not really interested in Jasmine or the Sultan. Um, and like, I mean, he does manipulate the Sultan's mind a little bit, Jasmine's father, but it's not as like goofy as the first movie. The visuals are fantastic. Like, I love the production design. And, you know, if you can get past the fact that you kind of know it's on like a big set, they're not like filming, um, you know, overseas or anything as far as I know. I, I, there's no way they did. It, this is definitely on the, you know, the Disney lot or one of the Disney lots in one of one of the states here this is you know but but i i love it i mean you could feel that world like um jungle book you can feel the world cinderella it, kenneth brown did a great job of bringing that movie to life beauty and the beast although that's also a movie that you could feel is is uh, filmed on a production set 
you could you, the way that they're setting up these live action worlds is is impressive. Same can't be said for that Maleficent two trailer. I'll tell you that right now. But no, I mean I enjoyed Aladdin more than I thought. It, it takes a while to get into it. It takes a while to buy into the performances. Um, but but I liked it. The songs were songs were decent enough. I would have liked to see a whole new world go on for like another minute or two. It seemed like it was only two and a half minutes, but maybe that's as long as it is in the original. I'm not sure. Um, the new song that they had for Jasmine was was good. I, I wasn't blown away like everyone was saying, writing in articles that it's you know a great new song, but um, I enjoyed it. So so that that's Aladdin seven point three out of ten. I'll give it. Um, the very next day, I did end up seeing Brightburn in theaters, 2019 movie here, directed by David Yurovetsky, starring Elizabeth Banks, David Denham, and Jackson A. Dunn. It's a family. This kid, it's essentially the story of Superman. They don't play him as an adult. He's, what is he, 11 or 12, I think, is when the story kind of takes place. Um, But they, you know, Elizabeth Banks and David Denham play a couple who raises this kid who has supernatural powers. Um, Literally the same exact powers as Superman. I mean, the font in the trailers is exact same as Superman or Man of Steel. Same thing with the font in the movie. It's, it's, it's almost too blatant to be honest. And I don't believe this is a Warner Brothers movie. So it just, it feels weird. And I know that they weren't necessarily trying to hide their influence with Man of Steel or the Superman mythos itself, but I don't know. You know, I think it to, in order to buy into to the story and the twist they're going to tell with him being actually like a really evil kid and killing people in the movie. You kind of have to like the kid at first. You have to, if you're going to feel anything when he makes that turn to evil, you have to actually like his presence, like his uh, relationship with his family. And I like the couple of Elizabeth Banks and David Denham. They're a good couple together on screen, but I just, I did not buy into I mean, whether it was the kid's performance or just the writing in general, I didn't buy into it. So I think the movie's fine. Um, certainly the, some of the visuals are cool for being a low-budget movie produced by James Gunn. So I guess you get that. Written by his brothers, I believe, as well. So it's got that like, quirky cult-following feel to it almost. Um, but not for me. Not for me. So the, I'd give that a 5.8 out of 10. Uh, next probably shouldn't even watch this movie i know right when i clicked on it on netflix it wasn't gonna be anything good but i'm a sucker for chris evans movie so i did watch 2014 movie no not snowpiercer no not captain america the winter soldier but the 2014 movie playing it cool directed by justin reardon which i believe is his literal only directing credit on imdb so that kind of goes to show you how good the movie was or lack thereof um starring chris evans michelle monaghan anthony mackie um who else is in this thing i mean among others aubrey plaza is in this thing here's the thing look at the movie's title it says playing it cool so you think what does that actually mean is he trying to play it cool in a relationship not buy into um falling in love you know that sort of thing like oh i'm not gonna fall in love that's not for me well I'll tell you right now, that title is almost too meta because the movie tries to play it cool in that it's not a cliche romance. It's very different. It's written like Man Up and all these other very inventive 500 Days of Summer. All these are very inventive romances of the last 10 to 15 years that just they just don't make them good anymore, to be honest. 
besides Long Shot, which is actually a very good movie, which I could have brought up here as well as a recent movie I saw, but I, it tries to be way too clever and not cliche that it ends up falling exactly into the cliches that it tries to to not uh, produce. So to me, I mean, Chris Evans is great in the movie. He's always great at playing these damaged characters, whether that be Snowpiercer or the Winter Soldier or even in the 2017 Gifted um, with uh, with directed by Mark Webb and with McKenna Grace as his uh, niece. I thought that was a fantastic um, small Chris Evans movies movie. And I, I can imagine that these are the kind of roles that he's going to fall into now that he's done with Captain America. Spoiler alert. Um, but just like I said about Mama a couple movies ago, this is a forgettable movie to say the least um and it feels long it's only like 90 minutes or 100 minutes this feels like a long movie for being that short so again not for me but moving on to the last movie i'm going to cover today and that would be the documentary aired sunday night game of thrones the last watch you thought i could go a podcast without talking about game of thrones you're wrong um i know i was talking about the actors earlier this movie this documentary is Freaking fantastic. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I like it. Because you, you, you're kind of like, oh, well, I want to see more about the actors during the last final season. I want to see more about the directors and David and Dan. Like, all these insight I think I'm going to get. And then you don't. You, you follow all sorts of different people in the production that you didn't think you were going to follow in the movie. I mean, you have um, a Stark extra. I can't remember what his name is. But it's an extra for the, the Stark soldiers. You follow a hairstylist for... Uh, Daenerys Targaryen, played by Amelia Clark. You follow makeup artists for the White Walkers. You follow Vlad Furtick, who ended up playing the Night King after being a stuntman for years. Um, and you end up following a guy who makes the snow for Winterfell, Castle Black, and all the, the scenes, even in the scene in, in, uh, in King's Landing last year when Jamie's leaving. Like, I mean, I never thought that I'd be moved by all these different people's stories within the production, but... There's some really, really touching scenes here, especially when the uh, Stark extra kind of uh, talks to, to Kit Harrington about giving the jacket to him that, that all the extras get at the end of each season. And then you see from behind uh, his point of view, the Kit Harrington speech on his last day of filming and how much this show meant to everybody, how much it took out of everybody. I saw one of the producers of Arrow tweet out about this documentary about how this, you know, this documentary shows a lot about the Game of Thrones, you know, crew that, that puts all their their time and effort more so into uh, the show than into their own family. And the, the producer on Arrow was saying this is exactly the way we are on Arrow and many other shows. And it's just like, man, it puts into perspective all these stupid petitions to remake the season. It's like, no, these people put their heart and soul into this show for what ten years, and uh, this documentary really really showed that well. And I, I appreciated this different direction that they took with this documentary. And I did not think it was going to go this way at all, but I should mention that table read that they showed because wow, you get that insight that Kit Harrington really didn't read the scripts at all before he went to that final table read and to find out what he finds out in that last table read, to see his reaction, to see Amelia Clark's reaction, um, really powerful stuff. And, uh, appreciated HBO for, putting that together, given the, the money behind a documentary directed by Jeannie Finley, I believe, 
a real documentarian who you know was given the go ahead to to be behind the scenes for months months i mean cl- probably close to a year behind the scenes for this show so loved seeing that um finally I should mention that certain casting that was just announced officially today, I guess it's Robert Pattinson or Robert Pattinson, as uh, some people are saying, is the new official Batman and the Matt Reeves directed 2021 Batman movie. Gotta say, I'm, I'm getting more on board every week that goes by. It was a couple weeks back when they first reported it. More on board, especially when you see that he's up against Nicholas Holt. Um, Sorry, don't see Nicholas Holt as Batman. I don't really see Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne anyway. I don't know that he has that warm side or that charismatic side to Bruce Wayne that that so many other actors have have shown. Uh, But I could definitely see him as Batman, especially if he bulks up a bit in the role. So we'll see where they go with that. I'm sure that there will be more casting um, to come. I think next week we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. Christopher Nolan will be Tenant. Hopefully we have more details by then, but... Um, that's the episode today. First, really the first ever episode, I guess, of the podcast that I was initially setting out to do, but I did like, um, you know, starting it off with that game of Thrones review, uh, six straight weeks of those six episodes had to start off that way. I couldn't really think of any better way to start off the podcast, um, than doing the, the reviews for game of Thrones. So in the weeks to come, we'll probably, Focus more on the movie news, uh, TV news, movie news, you know, whatever it may be. Maybe maybe some short reviews of the Big Little Lies episodes because I'll definitely be watching that live. Um, but probably it'll probably structure the way I structured this week's episode, which is just more of a of a movie review, catch up, a roundup of of sorts of the movies that I've seen in the last couple of weeks. So um, that's the show today. Whoever's listening, I appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.